I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought, you know what, I am holding myself awkwardly. I was holding myself very stiff and rigid and contracted. And I was really fortunate one day that someone said to me, why are you holding yourself so awkwardly? And I, and I kind of stopped and I looked in the mirror uh, and I kind of gave myself permission to just stop doing it. And, and it, almost at that point, you know, I became not just aware of my pain, but I became aware of all this protective guarding that I was doing for myself. So uh, I kind of over a period of time, I, it just unraveled where I just broke those rules of like train myself to relax my back and not brace my core and just taught myself back to being normal again. And as that happened, the whole pain system of obviously my concern, as the pain reduced, my levels of concern and distress reduced and my capacity to function improved and so did my sleep and a whole lot of things. So it just unraveled basically that whole process. Mm. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Empowered Beyond Pain podcast, proudly brought to you by Bodylogic Physiotherapy. Today's episode addresses arguably one of the most common misconceptions in the spinal health space, both prevention and treatment. This topic is often heavily misunderstood by fitness professionals, personal trainers, physiotherapists, surgeons, doctors, osteopaths, chiropractors, and well, the whole of society really. But that's okay because knowledge evolves and is fluid. We see our role as both researchers and clinicians to make sense of modern science for you and empower you on the road to growth. In many ways, Pete is the perfect guest for this topic. As you'll hear, he has a lived experience of trying to fix his debilitating back pain by doing core exercises. As an earlier career researcher, he then researched core stabilizing exercises for low back pain. And now, as an internationally renowned, distinguished professor of musculoskeletal pain and a specialist clinician, has a mountain of wisdom to share. We need more research is often a sentiment for many research topics. But thankfully, for our benefit and yours, the area of core stability is one that has been extensively researched. Each episode, we share the supporting references for the evidence we bring to your eardrums, and we do this in as balanced a way as possible, preferring to cite high-quality systematic reviews, randomised controlled trials, and studies with robust research methods that minimise bias. And this week is no exception. In fact, it is probably the most robust and trustworthy bibliography that we've had to date. And if you've seen some of the previous reference lists, that's saying something. If you value the podcast and the information we share each fortnight, we'd really value your feedback. Review the podcast on iTunes, reach out to us on social media at EBP Podcast, and share this with your colleagues. As always, the show notes for this episode can be found at www.bodylogic.physio forward slash podcast. We'll start today's conversation by sharing fact seven from the 10 facts every person should know about back pain scientific paper shared by patient voice, Anthony. And remember to ask, is there more to pain than damage? Back pain is not caused by a weak core. Weak core muscles do not cause back pain. In fact, people with back pain often tense their core muscles as a protective response. This is like clenching your fist after you've sprained your wrist. Being strong is important when you need the muscles to switch on, but being tense all the time isn't helpful. Learning to relax the core muscles during everyday tasks can be helpful. 
Welcome to the back to the podcast, everyone. We're sitting down today with Peter Sullivan. Um, we get to sort of, I suppose, hear a little bit of his story, um, both as a personal experience for low back pain, with his low back pain, but also his early research, and then um, the you know the um, c- contemporary research around core stability. And it's kind of a topic that I'm pretty excited to share with you guys all. I think this is a, a really common thing that we see uh, in the clinic. Uh, this idea that I uh, you know, because my core is weak, I've got back pain or I need to get my core strong to get rid of my back pain. And that's something that I really want to um, delve into today with yourself, Pete. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we, we kind of ended the last episode about this um, with this crane story. So if anyone hasn't heard that, listen back to that. That sort of talks about, you know, it briefly touches on, on this idea around is the core helpful to tense when we're lifting? Um, but like I said, let's, let's, I think, start with, with your personal story with, with back pain, Pete. Um, yeah. cause I think that kind of summarizes that nicely. Yeah. So my first, um, I'd never really thought about the core until I went to physiotherapy school. <laughs> it certainly hadn't ever been discussed in my early, you know, my growing up at school or, um, in my home at all. Um, and neither had posture for that matter, but, um, I had an event, uh, pretty early on after I just graduated where I had a ski injury and I, um, I've been going down a hill way too fast and out of control and I went off a ledge and I landed heavily on my back um, and I was in a huge amount of pain. I thought I'd fractured my spine actually and um, uh, luckily I hadn't. But that kind of created, it was the beginning of kind of like the catalyst of um, my first major episode of back pain. Um, and I've had a few from different incidents across my life. Um, I, uh, interestingly, one from being manipulated, having my spine manipulated as a postgraduate manuotherapy student, which is my another second episode. Um, having a spinal fracture from uh, mountain biking was another episode. Um, so I've had a few, but this first one was um, probably my first major episode. and um, And it made me realise that, across my training, there'd been this major emphasis on, um, on posture and core. And so one, up until that time, I hadn't thought about it for myself, but once I developed pain, I started kicking in all this attention to my body that I hadn't had before because it hurt. Um, and so I had pain through my thoracic spine, um, neck and into my back. So it was quite widespread, um, pain, which was consistent with the injury that I'd had. Um, and I started became hold, holding myself very upright and guarded and bracing my core. Um, and I started doing that when I was working. So I was first year out uh, as a physio and I found that at the end of the day, I was completely exhausted and in a lot of pain. But I was worse towards the end of the day than at the beginning of the day. Uh, and the, the more pain I got, the more I tried to adjust my posture and hold my core thinking that was a good thing. And I got myself into a complete pickle to a point where I started getting pain radiating down my arms and I was disrupting my sleep and it was limiting my ability to, to function and um, became really quite concerning for me because I was thinking, God, I'm first year out. I'm involved in this job, which was predominantly, you know, more manual therapy based work at that stage because that's what my training had predominantly been, um, where I was spending time leaning over patients and working on patients, trying to hold these postures that presumably were good for me while bracing my core. Uh, and I developed this whole widespread sensitivity 
um, that was just got me into a position where I thought maybe I won't be able to do this job. Um, and it was a kind of interesting um, experience of feeling like I was getting stuck in a cycle, which is such a common thing we hear patients do. Um, and I was really fortunate one day that someone said to me, why are you holding yourself so awkwardly? And I, and I kind of stopped and I looked in the mirror. Um, I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought, you know what, I am holding myself awkwardly. I was holding myself very stiff and rigid and contracted. Uh, and I kind of gave myself permission to just stop doing it. And, and almost at that point, uh, I became not just aware of my pain, but I became aware of all this protective guarding that I was doing for myself. So uh, I kind of over a period of time, I, it just unraveled where I just broke those rules of like train myself to relax my back and not brace my core and it just taught myself back to being normal again. And as that happened, the whole pain system of obviously my concern, as the pain reduced, my levels of concern and distress reduced and my capacity to function improved and so did my sleep and a whole lot of things. So it just unraveled basically that whole process. Mm. So that was my kind of early personal journey. Um, and I'd had, a, you know, a few subsequent ones of that. And then, so the second part of that was, um, or oh, that kind of journey for me was in the early 90s where I'd done my manual therapy training and then I was starting to be involved in research. And it was just around the time there was a lot of focus on, you know, the transverse ab and, you know, multifidus uh, training idea. And ironically, I kind of got kind of caught into that space uh, where there was this view of um, kind of common belief that back pain was... Um, you know, maybe caused by this lack of stability of the spine that needed to be protected uh, with these muscles like the transverse abs and the multifidus. And um, so part of our research and well, my PhD research at that point was looking at um, using that model as a means of treating people with chronic back pain. And I can remember, I can still remember a number of key um, patients that we saw, that I saw in that process of people who we were doing this work of trying to train them to activate these muscles. And in one sense, a number of them said, look, you're asking me to do something I don't understand. It's really, really hard. I don't, it doesn't make sense to me why I'm doing this. I can't do it. And others were saying, you know what, no, when I'm doing this, it's making my pain worse and I can't breathe properly. And it's making me look making me feel stiff. And when I was watching these people, I was just going, they, they were looking robotic in the way they were moving. And I was going, this doesn't, this can't be right. <laughs> there was part of my brain going, this isn't right. You know, I'm, I'm teaching people to do stuff that's not normal. Uh, and I think that allowed me to reflect back on my own experience of going, you know, it is not normal to walk around pulling your tummy in all the time. It's not normal to be um, constantly contracting muscles. And the other thing that struck me in that process was that some people became more and more hypervigilant around their body which seemed to distress them more. And it kind of makes sense now when we, when I, with a greater understanding around pain and that 
hyper pain, body hypervigilance and pain hypervigilance is probably not a very healthy thing for a human being, you know, engaging in activities that they value and love and having your attention outside your body and trusting your body to me is something that we want to attain. And I felt like in that process of teaching people to have this very focused attention to contracting muscles around their pelvis and uh, abdomen and back was creating a kind of pain hypervigilance for some people. And like without a doubt, some people appeared to benefit from it, where others, and actually, you know, they were telling us it was making them worse or making them more distressed, or they were losing confidence in their body because they weren't sure if they were doing it right. And for others, mm -hmm. it was making them move abnormally, which, you know, triggered these alarm bells in my brain to go, hang on, this is not right. The other part of that research that we then kind of triggered onto, which kind of moved to more towards uh, Wim Vankant's work, um, was then to look at patients with back pain and measure their muscle activity when they were doing normal activities that were provocative for them, things like sitting, standing, bending. And what we what, what, what Wim found in that research was actually these muscles that we thought needed targeting were actually overactive. That the, the likes of these multifidus muscles were Oh, and you know, admittedly, we were measuring the superficial part of multifidus, but as part of that group, um, the, the abdominal wall, and we saw the same thing in um, Darren Beale's work looking at pelvic girdle pain, is that we had this model that said, oh, if you've got pain around the pelvis, it means the pelvis is unstable, we need to stabilize it. They were already, already overworking these muscles. So what we were finding, and this was, is consistent with some of your work, Kev, is that um, that people with pain protect the area that hurts is a common scenario. So actually they were already overactive activating these muscles. So typically we see people over guard the core when they're in pain. And, and this idea of doing more when they're already protecting something just obviously doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, similar to that, we did other studies looking at what people without pain do. And we realized that they, people without pain don't engage their core when they bend. They don't engage their core when they lift. It's people with pain that do that. And if you think about it logically, it makes sense. Like why would you sit there contracting your stomach when you're sitting and standing or bending forward when those muscles are flexors? So they're actually, those muscles should relax as you bend forward. They should relax as you lift because you're generating extension moment. Makes no sense to create a flexion moment as you create an extension moment because it creates a handbrake on the movement. So I realized that um, we were training people to do stuff that probably wasn't normal. It, it certainly didn't seem to be helpful for some people. And in some, we, it, from what they were telling us, it was probably making them worse, creating a degree of hypervigilance. And I think often um, uh, this, this sense of the body, my body's vulnerable, I need to protect it, which mm. um, you know, is clearly not, not something that we want to promote now. Mm. It's really interesting. You sort of had that personal experience of, of being really protective with your movement. And then someone pointed out to you, like, what are you doing, Pete? That looks ridiculous. Um, stop <laughs> moving like a robot. And then, yeah. and then by not moving like a robot, your pain like reduced and you got back to doing all the things that you, that you valued. And yeah. then yet again, you were kind of pulled into that research space. And then yeah. it sounds like you sort of had that, that conflict, yeah. that internal exactly. conflict. Exactly. And I, and I, and I think, I think I've had that a number of times in my career when uh, this, this, this deep sense of what is right 
and yet my mm. beliefs have overridden it. And then I've come to this point of reflection of going, hang on a second, this doesn't make sense. And mm. I can remember times where, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know if anyone does this anymore, but there was a time where people were meant to lie in their belly and suck their belly in to try and reduce pressure on a pressure by a feedback device. And I remember lying there going, I can't mm. even breathe when I'm doing this. This mm. cannot be normal. Like this idea of we're asking the people to do stuff, that's just not normal. Um, and, and look, I think the other thing that's important here is to differentiate the importance of being strong. So having a strong core, having being fit and strong is very different between being tense and guarded. And we often yeah. see people who are tense and guarded who are actually quite weak and not well-conditioned, uh, but they're guarding their back to protect it. So often um, this idea of core is also linked to other things like a belief, like I've got to protect my vulnerable back, therefore I need to protect my core, which is linked to hypervigilance. And so we don't really know um, uh, how much this kind of focus on core is, is like a local biomechanical stress or how much of it's just linked to this negative pain schema mm. where these beliefs and, um, uh, and vigilance and kind of lack of confidence is driving a process that kind of activates the pain system to protect the vulnerable back, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly the, the, there's trials that have trained patients with back pain to work their core um, any benefits gained from those interventions don't look like they're related to a change in the muscle itself. They're more related to things like, you know, my, I've got more confidence in my body so uh, or improved self-efficacy. So, um, you know, even if you do see a benefit from those kinds of interventions, it looks like the reason for it is not, the, is not related to the thing you do and it's more other processes uh, or cognitive processes that that probably mediate the change. Yeah, I think that's important to highlight because lots of people do get better with core exercises. And, and I think what we're highlighting here is that the reason why they get better is yeah. not because their core, you know, must, uh, measures of their core stability have changed. And that's been highlighted in several studies, which we'll, we'll link to in the resources. There's loads of great resources around yeah. these. There's some videos, there's some articles that we'll link you to in, in the show notes page. Um, uh, you sort of just, meant on, just on that, Kev, though, yeah. I think when we say people get better, they don't get better a lot. Um, there, there was a study looking at training the likes of, you know, transverse abs and, um, and multifidus, comparing it to placebo. Like, I think it was detuned ultrasound, and the benefits were marginally better, and they weren't clinically important differences. So it's not a, it's not a cure for back pain by any means. And, in fact, the systematic reviews, have compared um, the benefit from stabilization training to other forms of exercise, be it walking, riding a bike, you know, general stuff, uh, which has probably got better um, health benefits generally for a person, uh, showing that there's no greater benefit, certainly in the moderate to long term, from those exercise exercise is good for people with back pain but the effects to it, at this stage around that kind of approach is pretty small and mm. what we're interested in is you know we've got to do better with back pain than little effects is what we're interested in and you know that's part of our ongoing research to look at that yeah it's true yeah it's true and i, I suppose the important thing is it's not like you said it's not better than you know just general exercise going for a walk or strengthening no. or, or anything exactly. like that i want to highlight yeah. the the 
um, conclusion to one of those systematic reviews. It was an update of a systematic review by Ben Smith. And this is a quote, there is strong evidence stabilization exercises are not more effective than any other form of active exercises in the long term. The low levels of heterogeneity, which basically just means all the studies were the same so we can compare them, and large number of high methodological quality studies, which just means that their studies are of high quality, um, at long-term follow-up, strengthen our current findings and further research is unlikely to considerably alter this conclusion. And I think we don't see that in research very often, that that um, further research is unlikely to change it. We have seen it in something like knee arthroscopy versus sham, because there are a number of trials that just show they don't work. And it's like we don't need to do those studies anymore because we know that. Mm. Um, and I suppose the big question is can we do something different uh, can we offer something different? And, and I think better. the highlight here is that movement and physical activity is a really potent um, intervention for people with back pain as long as pain isn't a barrier for them engaging with it. And yeah. often what we see with people who are really disabled is that um, movement and activity is a massive provoker of their pain. And so that becomes a barrier for engaging with that. So um, whilst we know that movement and activity and at the moment, it doesn't look like one is more superior than the other, but engaging in something regularly is really important. Mm. For a lot of people with back pain, they, they would say to us, well, that's all very well, but I've tried that and it makes me worse or my pain stopped me from doing it. And that's our big challenge, I think, as healthcare practitioners, is how we build people's confidence uh, and capacity to engage in physical activity that is linked to the things that they enjoy um, uh, as an alternative than just saying, look, you know, you need to brace your core. And I, I had a case yesterday who just fits so perfectly in this, who had had, he's had four years of back pain. He's seen multiple uh, people and he's completely frustrated because his pain has just got worse over time. And he is someone who was guarding his abdominal wall, holding his posture, doing exactly what I was. And he'd been, you know, he'd had scans showing, disc bulges and, you know, all the usual stuff that we see in people, with, um, uh, you know, was around the age of 40 and had just got stuck and was really quite distressed. And, and then we're starting to avoid a whole lot of stuff, normal activities that he was doing previously. Uh, and part of his belief was I'm damaged, therefore I need to guard my back using my core. Uh, and by doing it, he, pre, he was preloading his spine. And, and within that first session, just teaching him to relax his belly, relax his posture, breathe, learn to move in a more normal way, he could immediately sense a reduction in his pain, which allowed him to realize that he'd been protecting his back. And when I asked him whether this is something he'd done previous to his back pain, he said, no, this is what I've been taught to do. This is what's mm. normal for people with back pain. So there's a sense that People in the population have this generalized belief that good posture is very kindly linked to the core is mm. something you need to do. But it's a bit like walking around clenching your fist all day, uh, wondering why you got a sore wrist. There's nothing wrong with clenching your fist, but it's not normal to do that when you're writing a letter or <laughs> writing your notes or, mm. you know, sitting down at rest because you're going to end up with a sore arm. Uh, yeah. The clench in itself is normal if you're going to pick something heavy up or, you know, um, push something really hard, but to do that all the time is probably well. We know it's not healthy uh, for the body, and in, in fact, it's not healthy for the spine structures to be constantly under guard all the time. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think um, it's probably important to to highlight that often when people feel like they're not getting better with these exercises, 
the blame often comes on themselves. It's like, I'm not doing the exercises right. My core's not strong enough. And, and I think as therapists, when, when an intervention doesn't work, we, yeah. we are quick to blame the patient and say, oh, look, I, you, you're, you must not be doing it right. You're not getting the right activation or the lateral slide or whatever it is, whatever measure we're using. And I think that's unfair. I think um, it, it, yeah. it's the cause of a lot of frustration for patients. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, it's actually uh, not that helpful. And we know that, you know, there's been countless studies that demonstrate these people with pain have have um, far more activation or, or un- unable to relax their back muscles when they're bending um, and, and doing and functional tasks. As well. Yeah, and, their, and yeah. their core muscles. And I think it's maybe helpful to define the core. You sort of mentioned um, yeah. moment arms and things like that before. Yeah. I just wanted to kind of um, talk about that maybe. The, you know, the core is obviously well, it's made up of the transverse abdominis, internal oblique and external oblique, so sort of the big three, yeah. uh, which, which yeah. all sit in front of the spine. So or around the spine, actually. Yeah. So yeah. Like, it's around the side and into the front of the spine. It's like a corset. Mm. Um, and when you brace those muscles, you pressurize your abdomen. You also contract your diaphragm and your pelvic floor. So it's like a pressure container that kind of um, tightens up. And when that happens, you also activate your back muscles. But it, the, the net effect of those muscle groups is tends to be to compress or to flex or to side bend For, spine. Forward bending or side yeah. bending. So, you know, you engage your core when you twist your spine, when you side bend your spine, when you, flex, uh, when you flex your spine against gravity, um, that in- activates those that abdominal kind of network, muscle network, which is linked in with the, the back and the diaphragm, your breathing muscle and your pelvic floor, which is, you know, uh, your muscles that control continence. And interestingly, um, you know, we see this whole interconnection between breathing control, control of bladder, you know, bladder control and pain is kind of linked with that whole network. Mm. Uh, and and so when you engage your, your abdominal wall muscles, for example, which again is very normal, if you get cough, sneeze, um, pass a bowel motion, um, you know, push a heavy weight, list, twist under load, you naturally activate that system. It's normal. But if you're constantly doing it, that is not normal. Um, and, and that can compromise other things such as issues around continence. Uh, you know, those muscles attach up to your rib cage. It can change your breathing system. So, you know, it, it can have quite widespread influence in terms of shifting tension up into your neck because you end up using your, your accessory or your upper chest breathing muscles because you can't engage your diaphragm. So we see a whole cluster of clinical presentations with people mm. who are over-engaging that muscle group or those muscle groups um, and so, you know, people who work in the pelvic pain space or say the pelvic floor space with um, continence issues often spend time teaching people to both be strong but also to relax their pelvic floor muscles. In a similar way, mm. healthy abdominal wall muscles should be able to relax when you don't need them and to rapidly engage when you do. Um, and, and that's the key of a healthy motor system is a system that can be relaxed when you don't need it and engage when you do. Unfortunately, with pain, you often see the systems activated when you don't need it, and then it can't respond naturally or normally when you do need it. Mm. So the, the, the core stability idea has is absolutely exploded um, yeah. in the fitness industry, in yeah. you know the, the um, injury management, injury prevention, mm-hmm. prevention of pain, and then also the treatment of pain. Um, across everywhere. Where yeah. has it come from? 
<laughs> I reckon. Well, my my view on this, and this kind of came out in the um, set up straight um, posture. Yeah. Um, a paper so, that yeah, was in JSPT. Yeah. Um, that I think it's it's one of those one of those um, concepts that has tapped into um, what we see as desirable as human beings. So I think as human beings, we have an idea of what looks desirable. And, and if you ask most people, is it de- desirable for your belly to be hanging out or is it de- desirable to have a flat belly? And so we often see this kind of social desirability of what body should look like is like, you know, shoulders up, chest up, belly in, you know, it's everywhere. It gets taught. My daughter, um, you know, spent years doing dance and that was a message that was mm. strongly promoted within that industry. And it, I think women get a lot of those messages, but even now males are getting them as well. And particularly when we see, you know, I can think of many young women who I've seen over the years who are constantly pulling in their bellies because they perceive that they're fat or overweight or they don't like their bellies. I hear that a lot. And so teaching women or and guys as well are constantly pulling their tummy muscles in uh, to to hide their tummy because of the social desirability issue. I reckon that's one of the reasons it's become such a it's kind of hooked into it, and then the Pilates industry is hooked into it. So it's almost like there's there was this latent belief that you know you want what what looks good is you know, upright posture, flat belly, and then this whole um, kind of core belief kind of hooked into that industry around social desirability that then has kind of exploded to then kind of link into this belief that pain is linked to damage and if it's damage, you need to protect it. And so what do you use to protect it? Well, you've got to use your core. And so it's all, it's complex, but it's all kind of mished, mashed into that space, I reckon. Mm. And so there's this, there's, you know, we often hear this and people go, oh my God, that'll look terrible if I relax my core. And so well, actually, if you look in the mirror, it doesn't really look very different at all. Like, oh, it feels terrible. You know, I feel terrible when I do that. But when we say, well, how does it feel for your back? They go, actually, it feels quite nice. Gosh, it's quite relaxing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there becomes this conflict around actually it's relaxing. Um, it feels better often to relax those muscles. But actually, I feel like I shouldn't do it because it doesn't look good and well, if I don't, and the other thing that is fascinating with that is people go, I pull on my core to hold myself up straight, which is a complete oxymoron because yeah. ironically, <laughs> the core muscles are pulling you down so they don't hold you up straight at all. Mm. So you see these beliefs that people hold where they think, yeah, I'm really locking it in to keep myself straight. And it doesn't keep you straight at all. Mm. It, it pulls you down. So they're just you know, kind of myths that are just so embedded, as you say, at so many levels of our society around what we teach kids to do, social desirability, um, linked into dance, fashion, you know, all kinds of stuff that has just kind of made this such a powerful um, uh, kind of talking point, a focus point, Mm. which I would say almost every patient comes in with a belief around that. Almost everybody is so endemic. Most people, yeah. Yeah. And one, one thing you highlight is they don't want to let their stomach go because obviously this, that social stuff. But I think the other side of it is because they're worried that, well, if I relax, then what's going to protect my yeah. back and, and exactly. I'm going to cause my back pain to be worse. Yeah. And, and I think that social side is, is one big area that's, that's driven this, this um, um, overwhelming, dogmatic, I suppose, almost belief 
Um, and the other side, I guess, is the research side. And there's a couple of studies in the late 1990s that, that looked at, um, you know, the transverse abdominis and, and how quickly it fired when people lifted their arms. And that was on, on 15 people at a single point in time. Oh, um, thank you. Well, one was 12, one was 15. Um, and, and it showed that, that um, people with back pain um, who didn't have much back pain at that time of testing had um, slightly delayed, 20 milliseconds delay, which is 150th of a second or 1,500th of a second, um, and 150th, I think. And then from that, it's, it's sort of like exploded in terms of, well, transverse abdominis is this magic muscle that's going to stop back pain, which is not what the original, original authors intended, but that's kind of where it's all sort of started from. Um, so, so what should people do then if they've got, um, you know, we, we have some listeners that have pain and, and certainly I've sort of highlighted uh, Mandy's story, uh, who's one of our listeners, uh, I think in the last week's episode or the week, week before, where she, um, she's been practising relaxing her core and, and, and of, a, you know, I think a 20-year history of, of pain and, and it's actually helped reduce her pain, which is like yeah. the same sort of story that, that happened with yeah. your patient you saw yesterday. Yeah. And that's not going to happen for everyone, of course. You know, it's, there's, uh, we're all humans, we're individuals. Story. <laughs> it is a very common story. Um, and, and even, you know, in, in my systematic review, this, this idea that people become less protective that's, um, yeah. as they improve is, is mm-hmm. so um, common. And in, in the, mm-hmm. the single case series that I've done as well, that's yeah. been really common um, that people yeah. get less protective as they yeah. improve. Yeah. Um, so so what, what, uh, what advice would you give, what tips would you give to people who, who have got um, back pain or who treat people with back pain and, um, and they're now starting to think, okay, you know, we've got these people telling us that maybe the cause not that important and to yeah. try and run. So I kind of have a number of thoughts around that, Kev. One of them was I remember when Wim Dankitz was doing his PhD and he had these patients who were, and people without pain who had 16 um, uh, uh, EMG electrodes. So these are electrodes that measure muscle activity around the trunk. Uh, um, across all the abdominal wall and the back muscles, and he got them to do really simple things like get out of a chair, bend over, and you know come back up, etc. Uh, and when you looked at like that's just sixteen muscles, right? Like the complexity of it, like no one was the same. Everyone's muscles fired in a different way, mm. and and the complexity made me realize what are we thinking when we can teach people? We think we can teach people to contract our muscle and control it during function, what are we thinking? It's a bit like saying we've got an orchestra of 16 different instruments and we're going to control one of those instruments, you know, just one. It's Mm. not how the brain works. The brain doesn't think in terms of muscle. thinks in terms of function. Mm. It thinks in terms of safety or danger Mm. or threat or what is the meaning of the pain. And so... I think for our clinicians, um, the important thing is to listen to the person's story and understand what the, the key barriers are for that person. Well, of course, the first thing is to make sure there's no serious diagnosis going on for that pain problem. But um, for the majority of people back when we know that's not the case, and then the key is to build confidence back in the back. So that backs we know love to move. They love to bend and twist and move in a normal way. They, they respond well to loading and to activation they they love they'd love to be engaged in activity um and so building back confident relaxed movement that then you can build into strength and conditioning and and get people back to doing stuff that they love to me that's the key around good care um 
getting focused on individual muscles to me is a bit of a side route, um, which can be a massive distraction or, mm. or a distractor for not engaging people to get back to living again. And I would encourage people to go down the easier road than the more complicated road. I spent years torturing myself and patients to try and find muscles that they just couldn't easily activate. And, and I can remember as a you know younger physio being in courses where a, a room of 120 people couldn't, uh, physios couldn't activate, isolate the activation of these muscles. So if, if the healthcare practitioner can't do it, what are we expecting our patients to do? So this idea that um, that that our, the human brain can isolate these things in this degree is not how the brain controls movement in my mind. Um, that's not my understanding of how movement is controlled. And so at, at a very basic level, it's like, you know, we'd say to someone with pain, you know, can you relax? Are you, are you confident to move? And then movements are activities that you're not confident with. What are you doing when you engage with them? Are you breath holding? Are you holding your body tense? Are you guarding yourself? And if you can't change that, find someone who can coach you through a process of learning to do that again. Because often in going through that process, you realize that the guarding actually was hindering your progress, not helping it. Um, and that can be quite a journey, as we know from a number of studies for people. For others, it can be incredibly hard to learn to relax and build confidence back in the body because we know pain can be really scary for people. And when you're frightened, you tend to guard yourself. Um, and so, you know, um, some of JP Canero's work has shown that as people develop control over their pain and reduce their fear, often their pain levels and their disability shifts. Um, and so some of those processes around um, perceptions of confidence or, or controllability of pain um, and, and levels of confidence versus levels of fear are critical targets to shift around just getting people back to living again. Yeah. But, but, but I, I think the other thing to highlight as well is often people go, oh, well, you know, you're anti-core. No way. I mean, I, I personally do sit-ups. I, I do push-ups. I do planks. I would do side planks. You know, I believe in being strong because that helps me with the things that I love to do. But there's no way I'm sitting around pulling my belly in or trying to hold my core all day because I did it. It didn't work. It wasn't helpful for me. Being strong and fit is really important. Mm. Um, and, and we need to separate that out from this idea of protecting the vulnerable back. And, and I think Joe um, so sort of highlighted it nicely, um, patient story, Joe, I think from episode um, 14, we don't do it with any other part of our body. We don't guard our ankle. We don't guard our wrist. You know, certainly if we injure it, certainly then, yeah, for, for a short period of time, we want to limit further injury, of course. Um, and and this sort of the same applies for, for backs as well. But we, we, don't, we don't continue then tensing the muscles around there or, or trying to switch on certain muscles um, to, in order to heal or, or get better. Uh, it's, it's not right. a normal thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Is there any final uh, remarks, Pete, that you want to talk about with regards to the core? No, but I, I think, um, I, think it, I think people who might listen to this, you often you'll get a backfire effect when when people hear this stuff going oh you know that's ridiculous and I know um, I did an interview a number of years ago um, 
that was put on YouTube around <laughs> core stability. And if you look at the comments, there are some people going, this guy's a moron. <laughs> what the hell is he about? He's dangerous. He's like, you know, there's a really strong, you get people who hold, we hold these views about the body very strongly. And, um, and uh, often it can be quite threatening when people question that. So, mm. and I've often encouraged, I wouldn't tell patients, you mustn't do that. I'd say, how is, can we just explore how that experience is for you? So, um, you know, that's probably the most important part is it's not like you must do this or this. It's like, is that helpful for you? You know, are you living again? Are you back doing the stuff? Do you have confidence in your body? They are the things that really are the important questions. And if, if you don't have that, then there may be other things that you can do um, that is beyond the core. So we see lots of people doing a lot of core work who are still in pain and are disabled and not doing stuff they love exactly, exactly like Joe was or um, so the young man I saw yesterday. Mm. Yeah, and, and certainly, you know, if, if those, those people on YouTube um, or those people making comments, if they've done, you know, if they've had disabling back pain and then they've done core training and core exercises and they've improved, then awesome. of course, then, you know, that, that's like their identity or their pathway to, yeah. to improvement. Yeah. And, and, and I would never want to take that away from them ever. Yeah. So the bottom line for me is, you know, what, what are the things that build confidence that, you know, get people back to doing the stuff in life that they, that they value? That's the bottom line. The mm. way you get there, you know, we can have a discussion around that because there are probably a few different paths to getting yeah. to that point. But over-focusing and over-protecting may not be the easiest path. <laughs> yes. or it may not, for some, may not, we know it's not an effective path for some. Uh, yeah. And so that's where you have to start questioning beyond the kind of paradigm again. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, certain industries might f- sort of find this conversation a little bit confronting, especially if their identity or the, their, their job or their life is tied up in mm. teaching people um, core stability or, or mm. trunk strength, which is, again, we're, we're, we're all for strength and confidence. Um, right. But, yeah, as we've discussed today, there's some nuances yeah. in that as well. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thanks yeah. so much for your time again, Pete. Pleasure, mate. Maybe a pretty popular episode. And, um, yeah, we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Sure. Thanks, Kim. So there you have it, the end of another episode. Many patients often say how liberating it is to hear that they don't have to worry about tensing their core every instant of every day and how doing this can reduce their pain. As you're gathering from this podcast, pain is an individual and not necessarily a simple process. And as we say at the end of every podcast, this information is for educational purposes only and should not substitute an individualized assessment from a trusted healthcare practitioner. I guess my take home would be that while core exercises can help, they don't help more than any other exercises or manual therapy and the results on average aren't that great. And the reason behind why they work doesn't appear to be because any measures of core stability improve. It may be more to do with confidence and a sense of safety. Plus, the potential vigilance and worrying thoughts around a perceived fragile or vulnerable spine that needs stabilising is almost invariably unhelpful. What were your take-homes? Share them with us on social media via EBP Podcast. As always, show notes are available at www.bodylogic.physio forward slash podcast. And we look forward to bringing evidence to your eardrums, making sense of science to close the research to real-world practice gap next fortnight. Until then, remember to ask, is there more to pain than damage? 
please note, what you heard on this episode of Empowered Beyond Pain is strictly for information purposes only and does not substitute personalised, high-value care from a licensed and trusted healthcare practitioner. We are all individuals and need to be assessed and managed as such. Theme music generously provided by Fervin and Cash. <laughs>